Father, we're thankful for this time that we have to visit together and to discuss um, the education we all get in raising children, and more importantly, the education we get from thy word as to raising little ones towards to be godly and to be upright in your eyes. Be with us in our conversation. We pray in Jesus' name. So our original vision for this forum was to have us sitting in a circle around our table at home with like a cup of coffee. And I'm like, I'm thinking, wow, this is getting pretty close, except we don't drink coffee. But if anyone else wants to drink a cup of coffee, go ahead. And then just answering any questions that someone might have about parenting or young children. But we, weren't, we aren't at home, and we are outnumbered. And we thought it could get a little chaotic if we just let an open question format go. So we asked people to submit questions to us, and we are really thankful that we received a lot of really good questions. But as we read the questions, we also became quickly aware that this forum could possibly be one of the most controversial forums at camp. And I didn't quite expect that, but Joe is going to give our disclaimer, and please take it. Okay, so the disclaimer is that we're going to answer these questions based on our experience in raising our own children. Um, we're not looking for an argument. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to be surprised if we make it out of here without any bruises. Okay. Um, with that, we'll proceed. Here. Yeah. So our first question is, what would you give as the three most important pieces of advice to new parents? You go first. Okay. My three pieces of advice. First, seek, accept, and implement advice on child rearing willingly and humbly. When I started off as a parent, I had no experience in raising children, and I, but I did have ideas on how I wanted to do things, and I'd often become defensive if someone would offer a suggestion. And there was, at, at one point with our oldest, he was screaming and kicking at church. He was about two and a half, and a really good friend to me came up and said, that child needs a spanking. And I was kind of taken aback by that. I, I thought he was just I don't know, expressing his discontent or acting like a two-year-old. And it was kind of bothersome. And besides her kids, you should have seen her kids. And so this kind of really upset me. But then when I shook off that initial defensiveness uh, and reevaluated things, I knew that she was right. And he really did need a spanking. He was being rebellious and stubborn. And it made me think about receiving advice. I... Nobody likes to take it, but if I were doing it again, that's one thing I would do. And now I actually seek out advice. And there are people that are mentors to me here at camp, and they don't even know they're mentors. They're a step ahead of me in the season of life. And so now I have adult children at home, and so I talk to other parents that have had adult children at home and ask them, what, do you, what did you do about this? And the thing is, when I go to seek advice, is I need to take it also, because sometimes they'll start giving me advice, and then I want to argue about how I want to do it. And that isn't really helpful. That was one thing. Secondly, I would train more and react less. It seems like we know that our children have weak points. Maybe we have a shy child who doesn't like to say hello, or we have a stubborn one who just likes to dig in their heels and show disrespect at the Sunday school teacher or wiggly ones that can't sit still. And I, I tended to parent on the fly. I'm in an embarrassing situation. The kid's acting out, and then I'm going, oh, i got to do something now, where I wish I would have spent more time training at home. And we did do a lot of training, and I want to kind of define what I mean by that. For instance, if I have a child that's shy, and I know that's an issue, and instead of waiting until the stranger comes up and says, hello, and then he doesn't say hello, and then you're embarrassed, and then you have to you know, spank him or this or that, to at home practice saying hello to anybody, everybody, setting up scenarios and situations where we're actually training it at home so that if they are disobedient, you can take care of the, the training and the consequences at home. If a child tends to be a runner, and you tell them to come here, and the child runs the other way, then that means when I'm at home, we play come here every day until the child learns to come here so that when I go out in public, I, I'm not training there because that makes it very difficult. So that's another thing I would do, train more and react less. And uh, it's also about this training. For instance, we used to fly on airplanes a lot, and the child has to sit in a seat 
when the plane's going up and you you can't negotiate that. So oftentimes we would have to do just sitting training at home where the kids just, you make them sit by you on the couch and increase the time until, so that when you're not. Four so, hours. Four, <laughs> four hours, we're sitting here. But This just, is part of our training. <laughs> that's right. And that makes it so much better than trying to deal with this in a public situation. And then the third thing that I would suggest to parents is to start training earlier than you think. It's much easier to train a one-year-old to eat his beans than a five-year-old. And it's much easier. I remember uh, our, some of our first children, they wouldn't stay in bed. And then we did this thing where we put them in bed, they get out of bed, and this big routine. Well, by the time Anna came along, when she was, seriously, when she was nine months old and started to climb up in the crib, right away I just gave her a little spank and she was down. And it wasn't an issue when she was two because you start very early as soon as you notice that little bit of, of rebellion because it, they're not going to outgrow it. Um, they will change maybe its manifestation. So those are my three. Okay. Uh, my three, uh, start, my first one would be default to yes. I need to explain that because there's a wide age for even zero to five is a wide age. But we end up having to say no so many times for so many different things that by and large default to yes. So um, if your child is three or four and they want to make cookies with you, it's so easy to say no. But you know what? It's not the, ta the job of making cookies is not the job. The job is you're raising your children. And this is a teaching moment. It's a time to teach them. So can I make cookies? Yeah. Let's make some cookies. We're going to make some cookies. Can I use the jigsaw? Okay, so cookies, this is more on <laughs> Lori's side. Can I use the jigsaw? You know, I have many saws out in the shop. And the circular saw, I'm even afraid to use. And I don't think I let Daniel use it until he was 18 plus, okay, because you'll lose a finger. But the jigsaw, it has tiny little one millimeter teeth. And you're only cutting little skinny boards. So you know what? At, at four and five years old, maybe six, uh, the worst they're going to do is they're going to get their, you know, a little cut. It's not going to cut off. It's just going to, they're going to just know that there was a problem there. And you teach them right, but default to yes as much as I could. I wanted to default to yes. Um, number two is. <laughs> oh, so let's talk about that, right? So number two is um, only say no when you mean no. So uh, an example I have is that. Um, when Daniel was young, uh, maybe one or one and a half, he was going over, well, maybe it's not the exact example, but he was going over to um, a light socket. He was going to start playing with a light socket. And I didn't want him to play with the light socket. So um, this actually falls under being a little bit more clear. Uh, I told him, you know, come here. I didn't tell him not to play with the light socket. I said, come here. Okay, you know, he had learned that rule, come here, okay. He comes right over, and now he was away from the light talking, and it didn't even dawn on me that I didn't want him here. I just wanted him away from the light socket. And, but all of a sudden, I see him going back over to the light socket, and I thought, oh, well, I started to think, what a disobedient little child he is going over there. But no, I just hadn't communicated clearly what I wanted, and he was just going over to, to investigate what he was going to investigate. So... Um, he, then I realized, oh, I need to tell, I need to say what I mean and mean what I say. And I need to be clear in my instructions. Now let's go back to um, only say no when you mean no. Um, once I was working in the kids' room, I was replacing a, light, or a, a wall plug. And all the wires are out, right? And, and, and it's hot. I'm working with a live electricity. And Bethany's sitting there. She's seeing me touch it. And... She wants to touch it. And so now I have a choice. Is this something, you know, this kind of goes back to my default to yes. Is this something that, you know, can hurt her or, or, or harm her? Is this something worth saying no to? Um, and with Bethany, I looked and it's like, well, she's not grounded. You know, it's not going to be too bad. Yeah, if you want to touch it, go ahead. And she, she touches it and her eyes get really big. And it, it was... I know it doesn't sound safe, but it was a safe way of letting her know, and she understood that. Now, so let's go to the no part. When you, mean, when you don't want them, 
no, I don't want you to be up on the roof by yourself. This is no. No, you've had three pieces of chocolate already, and I've just decided that that's all you're going to have for no other reason. Now, if really it didn't ma matter you were given three pieces of chocolate or four, if it doesn't matter, you better just right away say, yeah, you can have it. But if you say no, even if it's by mistake, for the most part, you've got to stick with your word. Because then it very clearly sets up lines. Otherwise, you know, they're smart. And, and if they see that these rules are kind of um, moving, well, they keep on testing to see where they get moved to. Um, and the third thing is, um, right away, all the way, in a cheerful way. This is a saying we had. Right away, all the way, and in a cheerful way. When you're expecting them to obey, you want them to obey right away. And you want them to obey, obey all the way. And it has to be cheerfully, in a cheerful way. If it's not right away, all the way, and in a cheerful way, you're going to be dealing with these problems. Way, it, once they hit the teenage, you, it, you're done. You, you really, I don't know that you're really done, but it's, I think it, from what I've seen, it's really hard to go backwards. And, and if it's not right away, all the way in a cheerful way, then it's disobedience, and you have to treat it as such. Can I ask a question? Sure. Train too early. You said <laughs> before you think. But How early? <laughs> Yeah, that's a little bit hard to define, um, but it's... I have a definition. Oh, okay. I have my microphone. Oh. Okay, so, you know, when that baby is first born, I would say, you know, a brand new baby doesn't... There's no rebellion there yet. You know, they're just crying and hungry and crying and hungry and tired, one of the three, right? But there comes a time where you're going to put the baby down or you're going to do something... And when you go to put the baby down, they arch their back. Right? Have you noticed this? Okay? And as soon as they arch their back, I think they're really cognizant. They're, they're ready for discipline. Now, I don't know what kind of discipline. I'm not telling you what type of discipline. But their sin nature is being expressed. And they're saying, no, you don't do that to me. I want it this way. And so it's time to start thinking about how you're going to handle things. Because even if you take a, a child that you're starting to feed at six months or eight months and they start, some of it is maybe not discipline, but it's more training because they maybe don't know at first that throwing the bowl is wrong. But as soon as they start to throw the bowl, and if you say no, and immediately I would, I would start you know, spanking the hand or something at that point because they, they will learn that the word no is an unpleasant uh, there's an unpleasant association with it. Oh, yeah. oh good. Go ahead. Question for some of your last point, right away, all the way. So um, I found sometimes that I want right away, and I wasn't actually either clear in my instructions or I'm not reasonable in my instructions. So, for example, when my child was doing something just in the middle of it, and I say, you know, go do this, well, I, I probably should have said it rather, once you finish this task, go and do this, as opposed to always in the middle of interrupting them when they're in the middle of that's a perfect point so and I have the same problem you, uh, sometimes we either aren't clear or we interrupt you, nobody likes to be interrupting interrupted in the middle of doing this and so as much as is person you know able in my mind we don't want to um, be frustrating our children right uh, I will wait uh, I try to say it the right way if I don't and I see their look you can tell in their look if they're going to give you that act of frustration or defiance, oh, you know what, I apologize. You can go ahead and finish that, but then as soon as you finish that, go do this. And then, of course, you know, if you're saying take out the garbage and they're a little bit older and they don't finish it because they forget, that's another issue and you deal with it. But that's a good point because uh, as parents, we frustrate our children all the time telling them to stop right now when they really need to stop right now. And then you're unreasonable. And if they perceive you as unreasonable, well, then it's going to be really a hard battle. How do you handle you know, the baby's 
I think it's trained because, you know, I'm one of those people. I don't see messes. But Lori has been working very hard to help me to see them, and I can actually see them now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of that, that kind of thing, well, there's, there's two things. It depends on if you've trained them first on what you mean when you say uh, clean up. So there will be, so you know it's an issue, and so obviously that might be a goal then for the next couple weeks that we're going to learn what I mean when I say clean up. And you're going to have to do it with her, show her, work together, train. And then after you've trained and you say to clean up and they don't, I would say that's disobedience at that point if they've been trained and then we'll have to give consequences, which we'll talk about some consequences later on. To the, the age of the child and what they're capable of, I mean, you may have to just clean up with only one thing first. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? That's a big thing. You start off with one or two things. Yeah, that's what we try to do. Like, she's responsible, let's say, for her health, right? Or whatever, and then whatever. But and then, then you can also get into just natural consequences. Like, I, our, some of our girls were like that. And if it was left out, I gave it away. And they learned very quickly. I mean, it, it's kind of traumatic. Well, and it's amazing how they're not really absent-minded after that. <laughs> yeah, and we think it's just, you know, we so much think our, you know, it's just this inherent flaw in them. But it's just like, no, they're really very smart. And they just want to see how much they can get away with. Yeah, so that's how I'm. I really liked this question. What is the best way to deal with the Disney princess stage? And the reason I like this question is my son was a prince recently, 13-year-old. Um, we have, we have a, a little girl at, at church, and she was laying in Bible study, pretending she was asleep. So one of our girls came and kissed her on the cheek, and she said, Timothy. <laughs> he was mortified because... He was absolutely mortified, but yeah, this is a this is a stage to go through, and then they define it a little bit more because it's not just waiting for your prince to come; it's also desiring all the makeup, the jewelry, the little frills and and things that go along with that. And then I thought I would throw the other side because boys maybe are into shooting each other with guns, and so I'm going to kind of lump this whole idea of uh, play and desire for things that. Ultimately, as Christians, we're not going to want them to have when they become adults. And I'm going to assume we're all on that same page, that we, when they grow up, we are not going to want them wearing jewelry, makeup, shooting each other, and these kinds of things. I'm going to make that assumption. So my principle for that is think long-term. If it's not right for mommy and daddy, it's not right for our children. And we need to set the stage and the framework from which we're operating at a very young age. You should not treat it as something that they will outgrow or that you'll say, well, now you can do it, but when you hit this age, then it's going to be wrong. So even like issues of modesty, I know that little dresses are so cute on the girls and stuff, but... You have to think, do I want my 15-year-old running around like this? And it's very important to start thinking, even when they're little, you know, if she's 15 and wearing this, I wouldn't like that. And so it's really good to start when they're very young uh, on these kinds of issues. And as you teach these things, we can teach, we need to teach them why and the focus. So if a little girl says, oh, I want to wear this, this bracelet, uh, personally, we would just say, oh, honey, we don't, we don't wear bracelets. And then we would actually read the scripture about not adorning ourselves. And, and this is even a three-year-old. I start, I start as soon as they can understand anything and then uh, go from there. Go ahead, Grace. Uh, some of us, we were talking about this separately earlier this week, and someone was saying that they explained, well, you know, God made me beautiful this way without adding anything. Oh, so God didn't make her very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we actually had that issue because sometimes the kids will say, well, Auntie so-and-so, she says she's a Christian and she's wearing it. And so what we would say is, yeah, 
I'm not going to deny the fact that she's saying that she's a Christian, and, and she, she well, is a godly person in many ways, but let's just read what the Bible says here. Even when they're little, I would read it, and I put it in my own words so they can understand, and say, the Bible says this, and I'm not sure why Auntie so-and-so doesn't see it that way, but that's just, you know, we can't argue with what we see here. And then also is to also kind of just provide the provide alternatives by saying, okay, instead instead of making ourselves beautiful on the outside, why don't we like do something that's beautiful, like being really kind and making a card for grandma so-and-so and kind of shifting the focus onto the inner character qualities that we want to see in our children. And even with the little boyfriend-girlfriend stuff, I know that some of the kids were some of the kids were teasing one of our children about getting married when they were like four or five. And who's your girlfriend or who's your boyfriend? And this was at church, to be honest. And so I when the child came home, I said, Now next time if someone says that, you just say God's gonna I'm gonna trust that God provide will provide someone for me and you know, God provided daddy for me and then and so the next week he goes to church and the boys start teasing him. He says, Who are you gonna marry? God will provide for me. And these, these teenagers were like flabbergasted that this little one would, would say that. But you can train them in that way. And you also need to train them how to deal with situations. Although one, once our girl went to a party, and the little party favor was jewelry. And so she just said, well, thank you very much. I don't wear it, but here it is, but thank you very much. And then she just went on her way. And then my friend later told me, I didn't even really, she hadn't even noticed. And she felt bad that she'd put, our child in that situation, but uh, this is a prime opportunity to train. And then the, with the boys and the guns, you, you know, they, we do not shoot each other because you don't want them growing up shooting other people, and this is just not acceptable. Sometimes we would let them have an alternative of maybe pretending. If they're going to pretend, it can be a bear, but not each other. Uh, so. uh, well, they, if they're going to shoot, then you can shoot that bear over there, but not not each other. Um, and we personally didn't, chose not to buy the guns and things like that, but you don't have to buy them. They, they make them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's just, again, training that we need to love our enemies. We're not going to do this kind of thing. And I start very young because they can start learning. You wrestle. <laughs> Or you get them slingshots, and you shoot targets. But you know what? You got to teach them. Yeah. You know, you're not shooting. You're never shooting each other. My my father was not a Christian man, but the one thing I knew is that you never point a gun at anybody ever. That was his rule. You know, that's just not what you do. Cafe in Toronto after church one Sunday with my in-laws and a couple other people. Church, and a couple comes in with the boy who's probably seven or eight. He had a toy uh, machine gun, complete with a, a strip that goes through, with a laser sight on it. Mm-hmm. And in the cafe, he's shooting it on people's foreheads. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like we're sitting at the table and seeing this red dot on each other's forehead. And my father in law got up and he was like, you know, kind of joking, like, don't shoot. And just kind of looked at the parents like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Who bought this? And why did you bring it here? And like, what did, are you thinking? Did they get better? No. No, they are and oblivious. The just kind of looked like, what you thinking? <clears throat> and we all just got up and left. <laughs> horrible. Uh, one other comment too, especially now as technology grows, a big thing involving guns is video games. Sure. And um, I grew up, you know, sort of in like the 90s, just when this stuff was starting to come in. And <clears throat> I remember that, like a rule in our house, like I, I had a Nintendo, but I was not allowed to play games that involved shooting people. Um, and I had friends at church who had Nintendo, and they yeah. did have games where they were allowed to shoot each other. So that's, I think that's a big part. It's not just the physical anymore of, you know, making a gun and pretending it's, it's virtual now. Yeah. So. Well, and I was very surprised because we have a lot of kids and we have video games and we try to watch what they're doing. And so Anna was playing a video game and it's kind of like um, a maze and they're a little die. It's almost like an old Pac-Man and you're running these little balls 
around. And, and I was like, oh, what are you doing? I'm watching what she's doing. And she goes, oh, watch this. I'm going to get the bazooka. And then, you know, it's like, what is this? Is she, it, you know, but they're using the same terms, but it looks very benign. But, yeah, they have bazookas. And I don't know what else they have. We, we kind of stopped that one. But anyway. And the other thing to consider is feeding their minds. Like, if, if they're watching lots of the Disney videos and lots of the, those kinds of television shows or whatever kinds of media that reinforce those values, then it's like you're teaching one thing, but then you're showing another, and there's an inconsistency, and that's not a good thing. So you want to watch the kind of literature you read, the kind of shows or movies or whatever, things that you, you show to the children, because that can also reinforce things. How about fantasy stuff? That's a tough one, isn't it, Can you define what you mean? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's so much fantasy. Okay, here. So toys that fantasy toys. No, well, he, he, he was, was the, he was oh, the dragon. Oh, he was the dragon. I mean, you know, there were, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> so he was. Yeah, I guess. I don't know how much you get into those things and the fairy tales and all that. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, we 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 read a lot to our children. We read to our children still, um, and we've read all sorts of different books. Basically, we don't read about sinful things. Um, so I'm just but I, as I'm thinking about fantasy, it's like okay, we've read about yeah, you know, Grimm's fairy tales, and yeah, you know, the, anyway, um, yeah, we've read them all, and we read them with our commentary. Um, and if it's not sinful, usually if it's not sinful, I'm not too worried about it. But then there are some lines where you can cross over, and there's all you know there's kind of innuendo around there. So I don't want to be so blatant there. Okay, next question here. Uh, what do I do when two children are playing, and they do not get into something that they are not allowed? And when confronted, I get conflicting stories. There were no eyewitnesses, and I can't tell who is being truthful. Who is lying? So how do you how do you judge? You know, it's almost like Solomon and the baby, right? Okay, uh, and more than likely, uh, what I found is that it's almost impossible to find out the truth. Um, but I do know that employees being what employees are and children being what children are, what happens is it's going to happen again, and it's going to happen soon, and you're going to be the witness. Then you're going to be watching for it. Okay. So you might not be able to go back and, and catch that instance, but just watch, and you're going to soon see. Um, I was talking to a brother. We were just kind of sharing some of these questions with a brother, and um, uh, he said, oh, I used to use fingerprinting. I said, what? Oh, yeah, you know, when they're young, it's just like, you know, nobody did it? Okay, we're doing the fingerprints, and they take the broken vase, and he'd take it out, and He'd take the kids and put their fingers in flour, and he's got to do And before he's even halfway done, there's a confession. <laughs> so, fingerprinting, maybe. Or, um, those are hard times because, especially, you know, when there's trouble, you don't want to put them in the position of lying. But, you know, if you're being consistent and just, they know that there's going to be a punishment for what they've done. Now, also, you know, we didn't really punish for um, if you break a vase. We don't necessarily punish for breaking a vase or spilling milk. We don't punish unless there's really, they've been told not to. You can break all sorts of things, um, and, you know, we just fix them or throw them away. It's not that, the things aren't that important. But if you were being foolish, if you were breaking an explicit rule, that, now that's where you've been disobedient. This question is, as moms, how do we maintain our joy when we are exhausted and at the end of a long, bad day? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is a very difficult thing to, to do. But I will say a few things. Uh, one thing is our job as moms is caring for our husbands and our children. And in Titus, it talks about being keepers at home, loving our husbands, rearing our children. 
And I think that a lot of times we're tired because we're trying to do way more than that. And then we try to fit rearing the children and caring for our husbands in between this project and that project. And, and we just start putting too much on our plate. And we get exhausted. And so one piece of advice is just realize that right now this is the season that you're in. And sometimes we would like to get out of that season because it's tiring and, and this and that. And sometimes it's not as rewarding as maybe some other jobs we've had in life. But this is the season we're in. This is where God has placed us. So you may as well just slow down and enjoy the pace. And I noticed that with the first few, when I was just nursing them, I'd like to try to hurry up and feed them and so I can get out and do this and that. And by the last one, it's like, oh, this is kind of nice. I'll just sit here and, you know, I can't do anything else. And, and to just realize those are our priorities. Now, some real practical ways to help with exhaustion and, and, and then obviously when you're exhausted then you're not joyful is to you simplify, simplify the meals. And a lot of times I thought I needed to have this great meal and he was like fine with Kraft macaroni and cheese. Now I still have trouble with that. <laughs> but some of the things we think we have to do, we really don't have to. Uh, and so simplifying is one thing. I learned when the fourth child was born, it's like, I do not have enough time in the day for this child. And at that point, I decided to wake up early. And Joe has a story about a baker at our church and waking up early. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brother Steve Folia, he's been a baker for all of his life. You know, I don't know, 50 years probably he's been a baker. And he gets up at 2 in the morning. And uh, I said, you know, is it hard to get up at 2 in the morning? He goes, anytime you get up, it's hard. It doesn't matter what the time is. It's hard to get up, period. And so based on that, if I wake up at 5, I wake up at 7, I wake up at 8, I just started setting my alarm early and having an hour before everybody got up. And believe it or not, that sort of set the framework for the day of some peace and, and quiet and some time for me to have time to read the Bible and also to do some exercise because Joe would go to work at a certain time so if I could wake up and get out beforehand physical exercise it's proven to help you show that it helps you with whatever endorphins and this and that so that you're in a better mood and so I would often exercise sometimes I wake up and I don't feel good I don't feel happy but when I would come back from that walk or the run depending on what stage of life I was in uh You'd, you'd start off with a, with a better mood. The other thing is keeping children in a routine. It really does help f to keep you from being exhausted. Kind of the same pattern throughout the day. And nap time is very important, not only for them, but for you. But I'm very serious that during nap time, it is not time for you to do the housework and not time for you to do the chores. I still take a nap. <laughs> I started taking it when they were little because I woke up early. And when I got everyone down for a nap, I went into my room. And even if I didn't fall asleep, I would just lay on the bed. And that just kind of gives you a break. Because if you're working all the way through their nap time, and then they wake up, it, you've never had a chance to just rest and rejuvenate. The other thing is put them to bed early. That's always good. Early bedtimes. And even if they don't fall asleep, they just have to stay in their bed. And that gives you, again, a, a reprieve in the evening and time to be with your husband also. There are things that do not contribute to a restful state. Sometimes you think, if oh, I could just go out with friends and have a cup of coffee. Well, I found out that sometimes going out with friends, and then by the time I get back and then try to deal with the household, it really ended up making it worse. And even spending time on Facebook or spending time on the computer, it doesn't always help you achieve a restful state. Now, if you have time, you know, once the kids are in bed, things are done, and you have a few minutes at that point, that's fine. But sometimes thinking, oh, if I could just get out, or if I could just do this, I'll come back more rejuvenated. And sometimes it just was more work. It's just better to put them to bed and you rest at that point. I also, in California, we can go outside every day. <sighs> and that's really good. But I think even in Ohio, I was in Ohio, I used to come in the winter times. Even in the middle of the winter, we would take the kids out every day. Because just being out in the sunshine also helps you with joy and everything. Any questions on that one? <laughs> They all do. And we homeschooled our kids. So my, I, my, the toddler stages, you can, homeschooling is kind of like having toddlers until they're high schoolers, ser seriously, because they're with you all day. 
And even the older kids, there was a time of day when I could finally trust them, you know, that I still went in my, my room and had a, had a break. They had a quiet, maybe they they had quiet time. They maybe didn't sleep. I would separate them all, though, because if you put them all together during quiet time, it's not going to end up quiet. Everybody is separated somewhere. And if you have a small house, I'm sure you can still figure it out. Box. Um, <laughs> put them each in a box. <laughs> So how do you achieve obedience without the kids arguing or negotiating? So I say you don't argue and you don't negotiate. It's just that simple. But I, um, I was listening to a mother. I think it was a mother. Maybe it was a father. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven and a half, seven three quarters, like oh my goodness you know and if your kids are arguing and negotiating it's because you're allowing it really honestly and that's why I learned you just you, once again do your best to say yes when you can saying but when you say no or when you give that instruction you've thought about it and this is the way it is and when they know that you know there might be a little bit but it's just like you're done and if they go beyond that, there's, you know, it's not one, two, three. It's one. What do you do when one child responds to correction and another does not? It feels like I'm showing favoritism to the well-behaved child, when in reality, they choose wisely to begin with. I especially feel this way when I'm taking privileges away from the disobedient child. That is hard. I know we had one or two children that it seemed like, I was constantly spanking that child or taking away privileges from that child, and all the others were angels, quote, and unquote. And it's interesting, that child now, as an older, actually an adult now, said, but I deserved it. And we were actually talking to Roy Kittleberger at, at lunch, and he was saying that his, brothers and, his brother and sister were more well-behaved, but, oh, boy, this is on tape. I'm sorry, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, but he was saying, you know, he was just the kind of kid, if his mom said, if he got a new pair of boots and his mom said, don't go into the woods, well, that's a great idea. And then <laughs> off he'd go. And just, it seems like some children are just more in your face and are going to try to defy you more. And what would justice do? That child needs to be disciplined more often. There are a few things, though, I would caution us on. We had, one, we had one child that was more of a hitter and one that was a provoker, but she was a silent one. So I wouldn't catch the provoking. I'd just catch the whack, and then you'd want to discipline the child. Of course, if someone's hitting, you shouldn't allow that. Until we started to realize, oh, there's another child going like this, and by the time I come, it's, they look so good. Yeah. So you need to also, if, if you're noticing patterns like that, um, we need to be around our children more, especially when they're, all, when they're little and they're playing together. I remember just thinking, oh, just send them off to play. But sometimes when they're little, they need to learn how to play and they need some supervision because you can't always catch what's going on until the blow-up happens. So that is one thing to consider if you feel like one kid's getting it more than the other. The other thing is just getting perspective from your spouse or somebody else, just give him an, uh, the facts, like he would come home and I'd say, okay, this is what this one did, what do you think? Yep, deserved a spanking for that. There's, and sometimes you need that from someone else, or someone, sometimes he'll say, you know what, you were being a little hard on this situation, sometimes we need that extra perspective. Okay, how do you deal with comments, usually negative, in regards to your parenting or appearance of the lack of parenting, especially if you don't feel they're warranted? So, um, I would say that if you're getting comments from people that feel that you're not parenting correctly, that you should think about it because you might not be parenting correctly. 
Um, you know, for example, when Daniel was, I don't know, what was that, two, you know, having a fit, and somebody said he needs a spanking, you know what, he did, and we weren't doing it right. Um, if you really don't think, you know, because there are people who are, um, maybe they didn't raise their children right, maybe they aren't, maybe they're not thinking right. That's possible, so I don't want to give that blanket statement. Um, if you feel that you're getting negative comments, uh, you, you probably should be proactive, and like Lori said at the beginning, go and find people where you feel that their, their children are well-behaved. You would like their children to be like, your children to be like their children. And you find those parents, and you, you ask for advice, and be willing to accept the advice. Look for outside sources, because if you're getting these, I can tell you it's so hard for somebody who knows it all to see somebody who doesn't know it all, and you really want to say, but it, it takes a lot if you're going to go and approach that person. So if you really are being approached, more than likely 15 other people would really like to approach you. Okay, um, But maybe not, so, but just be aware of those things. How do you parent without yelling? Uh, ways to stay emotionally in control. And I can say, even, even now, even though our children are older, I still can yell. <laughs> it's the, it doesn't go away. But I notice that when I start to raise my voice, almost always it's because I have not followed through or I've been inconsistent, and you just start getting more and more upset. Example, put your shoes on. We're going in the car. Then I get distracted do something else, didn't follow up, but it's time to get in the car. Where are your shoes? I told you to put your shoes on. And then some other kid has this happen, that happens, and I never followed through. I mean, you might think, well, okay, I just said it twice. That was too many because all of a sudden the, you start getting upset. And so I have found that the, on my better days when I was you know, on top of things, if I, if I say put your shoes on, as soon as I notice the child doesn't have the shoes on, I need to go in my room right away and sometimes just sending them in another place and that works for like you know maybe maybe four and fives the little ones you've got to spank them right away um you can't by, by the time they get to the room they don't even know what they what they did already but that is usually the reason i would find myself yelling and even now with the older ones if i say i want you to do this assignment or that assignment and then it didn't get done i start i, I thought i told you to do that and then pretty soon the voice starts going up. So that's my observation on myself. Do you have any practical strategies for when kids stretch out that bedtime routine? It feels like it should take 15 minutes when it takes 45 minutes and I feel frazzled. So um, a couple things. Number one, you need to time really what it should take. Let's say without the kids even. You know, what would the bedtime routine really take? What is the bedtime routine? Let's define it. Is it just uh, brushing your teeth and, and getting your pajamas on and going to bed? Well, maybe that's eight minutes or ten minutes. Um, does it include your devotions at night with the children? Well, that's going to take longer. And if you realize, and, and I was in the same boat with Lori, I, a lot of times I saw devotions as I just wanted to get through them. Because I had other projects in my mind that I wanted to do, but we forget that our projects are really the most important projects are our children. And it's important that, you know, it's very typical for our devotions, plus the readings, plus the whatever we have, it can take 45 minutes. But that's with no shenanigans, okay? So how, when they're trying to stretch it out, oh, can I have another glass of water? Or can I have a glass of water? Can I have another glass of water? There's a monster, there's a sound, there's something. Okay, um, you, you need to stop those, you know, negotiating, you know, trying to stretch it out. You know what? They need to know that here's the routine. When you're brushing your teeth, here's your chance to get water. If you don't get your water now, you're done for the night. They it's, won't die without a glass of water. That's right. They're um, not going to dehydrate. Yeah. You know, it's not in the Sahara Desert. They're okay. <laughs> if you have to go to the bathroom, right now is the time to go to the bathroom. All those different things. This is your time. And then when they try, so you don't feel guilty. You've, you've taught them this. And so when they come out that first time, it's like, oh, no, you're back in bed. And you're serious about it. 
But if you're in the habit of saying, okay, well, just one more, or they ask three times and you give it on the third time, well, now they'll ask six times the next time because they know that there's some point that you'll, you'll break. And once they know that there's some point that you'll break, oh, 20 times, is, they'll go for 20 times. So you have to be consistent in that. Next. <laughs> so you're being proactive. It's like now is the time. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, you're saying that when they come out and they say, if they, it's like, okay, go ahead. But if there's no evidence. If there's no evidence, there was trouble. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. There's a, a slight modification I would agree with. But what if they can consistently at 10 o'clock, you're number two? <laughs> they've, they've reserved some. <laughs> You know, you can retrain them to do it. Ours always go after breakfast now. <laughs> oh, this other court. That's dead. You know what? That is so strange because our kids, once we, we didn't have that issue. <laughs> we'll have to talk about this later. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Or is it my turn? Uh, I, think, I think it's mine. Okay. How do you teach respect and obedience to other adults, not just mommy and daddy? What's the most effective way to get all caretakers on the same page concerning discipline uh, to maintain consistency. I kind of combined a few questions into one. This is dealing with other adult caretakers in your children's lives. My, the first thing I'm going to say may be somewhat unpopular, I don't know, but uh, God has really ordained parents to be the primary caretakers of our children. He's commanded you to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I think that caretakers are uh, sort of they can help you occasionally, once in a while, if you're there and you've got a caretaker helping you with the work, whatever. But to leave them routinely with caretakers, you do run the risk of them not being on the same page. That's all I'm going to say. If you, if you choose to put them elsewhere or to put them in the hands of someone else, you can try to communicate to the caretaker what you want, but you are putting yourself at risk that they will not cooperate with what you want. That being said, I'm going to assume that we are the primary caretakers, but this question refers to occasionally you go out, you have grandma take care of the children, or you hire a babysitter or something like that. So I would say, number one, choose your caretakers very wisely. Um, you cannot choose your grandparents. They are who they are. So that does make things, can make things a little tricky if grandma and grandpa are not on the same page as you are when it comes to discipline. That is kind of a case-by-case -case basis, I think I'm going to have to say, because I can't give general rules. But I would say if, if, if Grandma and Grandpa are on the same page, we have a, a sister at our church that has helped us once a week with our children ever since they were little. And if Aunt Elizabeth came, if I came home from my grocery shopping and Aunt Elizabeth said this child was disrespectful, that child went into the bedroom and got a spanking because she should have treated Aunt Elizabeth respect, with respect. Now, I would have given Aunt Elizabeth permission to spank the child, but she didn't feel that that was her job. And a lot of times grandparents don't want to do that. And if they don't, and if the child was disrespectful, then you treat it as if it was you. If, they, if the adult is questionable, sometimes adults, maybe certain types of caretakers don't communicate very well and you don't know who's really telling the truth, then I would say I wouldn't probably leave the child alone with that caretaker a whole lot if you really couldn't trust that situation. And I, I would personally give that caretaker the right to spank the child if need be, especially if they're little. How do you dis discipline in a consistent manner when you're in a public place? So this is actually just getting more and more difficult as the laws change. Um, I think training is the key here, more than anything. Um, if you're out shopping and 
the child wants to stand up in the cart, let's say, it could be that you might, you, know, you think you're out shopping, but really it's going to turn into a training session. And if they won't sit down in the cart, well, out to the car you go. And if you, you can't spank them in the car, you might drive all the way home. And you might have some lessons on sitting down when you say sit down. And then you can try it again. Um, it's difficult sometimes, but your primary goal is not always shopping. It's not always whatever you think your task is. It's training your children right now. Uh, sometimes you, know, you might be able to go into the bathroom. There were some secrets Lori had here. You flush the toilet and swat at the same time. <laughs> it works. Okay. Sun, uh, church, a lot of times Sunday school rooms are available, or you can go outside. But it's important to, especially when they're little, you, sometimes you cannot, when they're little, you can't wait till they get home uh, to, to discipline them. But I think a lot of it does come with training at home. In the, like if you realize this kid cannot, is not listening to me when I want him to sit in church or whatever, then train them at home and don't take them into church yet until you're, you've got them trained at home and then you can maybe try the public place. But then if it's still, if they act out once to take them out, I, we would take them out very often. But now with the laws and stuff, it is a little trickier, but we need to, we need to do it. I mean. You know, I think the Bible is very clear. Actually, more than your hand, it says use the rod. And we actually, from Amish country, got for five dollars, there, there's a ministry out there that it's a it's a quarter inch nylon rod um, that doesn't bruise, it doesn't wound, it it just stings a little bit. And I tell you, um, I think I think it works so well from God's point of view that Satan has gone out of his way to make this you know something that's horrible when it really isn't. The emotional duress that some of the child training you know, things would have you do, oh, you have to, you know, you, you give them negative consequences. You, it's, you draw it out over such a long period of time when, when seconds, you know, will just take care of it and off you go and you're back to your great relationship. Um, it's important to think about how the Bible really talks about training. And it's not, you know, if, if there is such a thing as abuse. Um, and Satan has also taken that and he wants to color a, a discipline and turn it into abuse. And the, the abusers are the ones who aren't disciplining. They're just going to where it's beyond sustainable and exploding. No, you got to catch it early, and it's got to be right away, all the way, when it chirp away. Okay, we only have a few more minutes here. Okay. How do you cultivate harmony with siblings? Sing. <laughs> sing with them? You know, I don't know. Harmony. Sometimes when they're arguing, I'd say, okay, we're all going to sing right now. <laughs> but uh, harmony with si siblings is a tricky one. And I was thinking, why is it little, why do brothers and sisters always fight with each other? And, and I thought about it. I thought, you know what? A child is born into sin. We have a sinful nature. You have a child untrained, undisciplined, and then boom, you have another one. And then some of us, boom, another one. And then, and now all of a sudden, you got four of them. And so they haven't had a chance to be trained. You know, it's hard even as adults to get along with each other. And, and then you have all these little siblings that are still kind of foolish and learning. And I, this, our, our children, we still have problems with this sometimes. Just, it's just, I think, part of living together and trying to get along. But some things that I think would be help is if we're teaching them to be godly people, not even dealing with siblings, but just to be kind, to be loving to this, in general, to all people, that helps with, uh, that's going to help them eventually with their sibling relationships. Let me see what else I had here. Don't tolerate ungodly treatment of each other. Uh, that's something as parents we want to make sure that if one kid is not being kind or loving to the other, that we need to make sure there are consequences for that. You need to watch them when they're young. Sometimes you separate them. That's just, you know, for peace of mind. Sometimes if you know you cannot observe and handle the situation, just separate them. And sometimes that separation, they really want to get back and play together again. It's like, well, if you guys want to get back and play together, then you got to stop arguing. Because sometimes they'll say, if I hear one scream, everyone's playing separately. And sometimes that was just enough to try to help them work it through. 
Another thing that really helped was the, it almost seems selfish, but the kid who has the toy first gets to keep it. Now, I used to make them share. Uh, there was a stage, well, you, need to, you get it for five minutes, and you get it for five minutes, and then you're, like, keeping the timer on, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, if I have a phone, Joe's not going to just come and grab the phone away from me as an adult. He's, he's going to say, when you're done with the phone, can I please use it? And so that's kind of what our, our new policy, uh, was our newer policy with our old, um, younger children, that if a child had the toy, he gets it. If you want it, you just say, when you're done, can I play with that toy? And then that child has the ability to say, sure. And they both have sort of some power. And then the other child's not allowed to just wait. He has to go off and do whatever he's doing. And then the first child sometimes just really will hand it over eventually. That helped a lot than forcing the, the sharing thing. Um, although I do want our kids to share, don't get me wrong. But uh, sometimes a lot of the arguing and the sibling stuff is over property rights, I guess you could call it. Those are a few tips. Maybe some people have some more. I don't know. I don't know if we have time for more, really. I, I just have one more. Here. Okay. Uh, what are the best ways to encourage church attendance amongst parents with small children? So um, I'm not quite sure if this was talking about how do I encourage other parents with small children to attend church, but I thought I'd just approach it from, our, you know, from a personal point of view. Um, I, I do believe that if there are seasons in life, and it's difficult when you have young children to always go to, the, go to church and to take them to services and to be part of the, the church as much as possible, um, but I think it's very important. I think if you're not doing that, that you're teaching your children that this is a secondary thing, that it's a lower level, and that you're going to pay for it in the future if you aren't taking them. And so, you know, how do you communicate to that somebody who's not taking their kids to church? I don't know. That's a, it's a hard thing um, because there's always a reason. There's always a reason. And, of course, if it's because they t need to take a nap, both parents, of course, have to go put them to bed. That's always the case, too. Um, but I think just that knowledge that, that more is caught than taught. It doesn't matter what you teach. If they, they see what you're doing and they're going to do the same we also found out that, you know, we kept our kids at church all day. Uh, we started at 10 o'clock in the morning, and actually sometimes because of counseling or this or that, we'd be there at 9.30, 9 o'clock. We have afternoon services. We have lunch. We have choir. We have everything until sometimes 4 o'clock and occasionally even up till 8 o'clock. And you just you bring their pajamas, and you keep them there all day, and you try your best to get them a nap and keep them in somewhat of a routine at church. It won't be perfect. But... Things aren't perfect at home either. That's kind of what I found out. And at church, at least, there are other people there that kind of keep them distracted. And, and you just kind of, it's really important to set that precedent when they're very young. They just come in and sit with you. And, well, <laughs> the first ones, when his aunt was still alive, she, she, this bag was huge, <laughs> filled with all kinds of toys and things. And by the last one, we don't do all that anymore. It's maybe, yeah, or have them, maybe give them, I would give them a piece of a pencil and a paper or something like that and let them write. and Take notes of the sermon. Yeah, or have them draw pictures of what the preacher said, or things like that. But um, the, our first one, we, we we just perfect time for a nap. But now he's programmed, and I'm programmed. I was the same way. Yeah, don't as don't. As soon as there's a sermon, oh, I can take a nap. And he's still it's still an issue to this day. So watch out for those kinds of things. If you're going to give him a nap when you're at church, take him somewhere else. So they don't get used to it. But um, yeah. I, yeah, I'm sorry it's boring or whatever, you know. No, and it's amazing when um, just like even getting them to sit on your lap, right? There are some parents that they can't get their kids to sit on their lap for a minute. Oh, they're, they're full of energy. It's like, no, no, no. Just you start with a minute and they're fighting you. But they know they've got to be there a minute. And then the next day, this is not a church, this is at home. 
then two minutes, then four minutes. Then you're going to sit and you're going to read the, we're going to read this story together. And they can learn. They can learn. Okay, our time is really up. Uh, we have nothing else to do, so we can be here a little bit longer. But I want to thank you all for coming.